Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today, per usual, by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Maybe some dogs, we don't know. That's always really the the question mark, Chris. You said you you said not to bark though. So hopefully that dog will listen. Yes, we, we have some special guests on this pod sometimes. Uh, I've informed the dog that it should uh, not bark during the pod. I think last time I didn't know, so I mm. let her know. Mm. Um, I, speaking of dogs, I'm going to need your offline input and, and probably from our listeners as well for a Halloween costume for Red because he will tolerate Halloween costumes. And, and when I lived in New York, we would go to the Tompkins Square Park and you know, we, he would never be one of the best costumes, but it was decent. He would look cute. We get some photos. My favorite restaurant in Chicago is doing a Halloween dog co- costume contest on Monday. And I'm very nervous about this because I feel like I have some street cred there. It's a restaurant I go to all the time. And I feel like Red needs to be very cute. So I'm going to need your your expert opinion as someone who tends to own nine or ten dogs at one time. I'm going to need you to help me pick a costume. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Folks, tweet your ideas to Nicole and us. Uh, see if we can come up with a good one there. Yeah, la- the last costume he wore, just for reference for everyone, was um, I did. Actually, it's a very creative idea. You just kind of buy like a tie, like a Beanie Baby tag, and you just put it on their collar. So mm. then the dog looks like the Beanie Baby. It's pretty good. That that might what that may be where we eventually end up going. But, very little effort on that. But it's very cute still. No, That's it works. Point. Yeah, it, works. it totally works. All right. Um, We'll see. If anyone's got any college football related Halloween costume ideas, I will definitely be all ears because this is a college football podcast on a college football feed. The Andy Staples Show and Friends feed has tons of great show throughout the week. Um, you will find Max Olson, Sam Khan, more of our pals on this feed throughout the week. I, as always, join Andy and Ari on the Friday preview show as we pick games. I am supposedly eating a spoonful of cottage cheese this week live. Really kind of was hoping that they wouldn't make me do this or that I can avoid it somehow. We'll see. But before we get to all of those shenanigans later in the week, I am excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you're thirsty as we talk about happy hours and last calls, well, feel free to grab a drink. We'll start with the Power Five, which in true Power Hour fashion is a setup where we give ourselves basically a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. This was one of those weeks where there was so much going on, Chris, in college football that it was hard to get down to five, but we're ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, number one, Nick Saban said Monday he hopes Bryce Young can play against Tennessee this Saturday. Quote, hopefully we're going to try to get him ready to play this week, but this is something nobody can predict how he'll, how quickly he'll get an opportunity to do what he needs to do. Uh, This is a massive, massive question mark heading into a game against a good Tennessee team. Jalen Milrow did have three touchdowns accounted for, but also had three first half turnovers. Alabama eked out that win against AM. Uh, a lot has been made about the play calls uh, and, and the fact that if Jimbo Fisher just had a competent offense, where would they be this season? But if Bryce Young is not able to go or is not close to 100% in this Tennessee game, it is going to be one of the main, if not the main, deciding factor. Yeah, look, I, I think Alabama opened up as like a 
about a seven, eight point favorite in this game. And I am not touching that game with a 10 foot pole because whether or not Bryce Young plays may determine who wins this game. Uh, if it's Jalen Milrow again, no offense to him, I'm picking Tennessee in that game. And I think Nick Saban realized some of the comments he made after the game to CBS at the time is that they really need Bryce Young ready for the Tennessee game uh, going into uh, – the the biggest Alabama-Tennessee game we've had in a long, long time. And and we're going to see if Tennessee's back in that environment. The orange out they're doing in Neyland is going to be a crazy environment. And I'd much rather have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in there. That's a a hot take. Yes, yes. Number two, Matt Rule, fired by the Carolina Panthers uh, as head coach. He went 11-27. and It never went well. He never found a quarterback. But the biggest... The, the initial reaction upon the news is, oh, could he come right back to college football? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there would be no shortage of schools interested in him. He took Temple from two wins to 10 wins in three years. He took Baylor from two wins to, uh, I'm sorry, one win to 11 wins in three years. And he's got a $40 million buyout. Uh, does that mean he's going to sit at home like I would? I don't know. We don't know. Coaches... Coaches are different animals. Does he wait for the perfect job? Does he does he wait for a couple of jobs he may have his eye on? Or does he jump back in? That's the biggest question. But everybody who has an opening, everybody who could have an opening, is going to be interested in hiring Matt Rule. Okay, did you hear my favorite theory on this of what someone should do? That What's someone that? should because so so Carolina's gotta pay the money as an offset, right? So yeah, yes, although I believe well, Caroline has to pay him forty million dollars. But if he gets paid, we don't know for sure. Because so 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 couldn't couldn't a college be really smart here? Basically, pay him very very little, and have Carolina pay him for a few years. Well, that's been done. That's what USF did when they hired Charlie Strong. Is that they paid him like a million dollars because he had so much Texas buyout still coming. I would love to see someone try that. We spent so much time in college football, especially these last few weeks, talking about buyout money and how much money there is being paid in college football right now for coaches not to coach. And obviously this is buyout money in the NFL, but wouldn't it be amazing if someone took advantage of that? And we'll remember uh, the Arkansas Razorback Foundation or whatever sued Brett Bielema or Brett Bielema sued them, I think, over not getting paid because of certain work he was doing or not doing with the Patriots. So this this has been a this has been a thing before. Uh, We don't know what Matt Rule's contract says. It's a private deal. We don't know if he's required to work to offset that contract or if it's a dollar for dollar offset, in which case he'd basically be working for free because he's getting the money anyway. But whoever potentially pays him. Uh, would love that to be the case. <laughs> I think that's a fun wrinkle. I also think we have plenty of time, especially as jobs continue to open, to speculate where he lands. Gut instinct is that would be a massive home run hire for Nebraska. I know you wrote in a roundtable on The Athletic about Georgia Tech being a, a really interesting fit for Matt Rule. So we've got plenty of time to break all of that down, especially, again, as we get closer to the end of the season, more jobs open. Okay, number three. Scott Dockerman, who you hear on this feed, um, does a great job covering all things Big Ten broadly beyond Iowa. And we're going to get into Iowa's offense in today's On the Rocks because we've alluded to it in past shows, but we really need to dive into just how bad that offense is right now. Um, But in news value, um, Scott Dockerman went to Big Ten Basketball Media Days and he talked to Kevin Warren on Tuesday. So here are a couple quotes from Kevin Warren to Scott. 
He said, quote, I'm always mindful of what's going on at different conferences, different markets and what's happening. But right now we've got to got to make sure we take care of our business. I don't think I've pushed pause on anything ever. I'm a big believer in take care of what you have, taking care of the new opportunities. USC, UCLA, our new partners, CBS, basketball, football, and NBC, making sure we're prepared when things happen. Because of all the conference movement that's going on, it is it always somewhere in the atmosphere? Sure. Generally speaking, I don't believe we're in a position that we have to go out and aggressively recruit any other schools. I think you're going to see over the next couple of years, just look back 24 months, the movement that has occurred in the SEC and the Big 12, the Pac-12, Conference USA, I don't think it's going to slow down. Maybe it's just done in a different manner. But so how much of this is on the table that people are analyzing what is in the best interest? Interesting comments. Um, I think that a lot of people always love to parse through different things that Kevin Warren is saying or George Klyovkov is saying as we try to figure out if the time is right for the Big Ten to expand West Western with, say, four schools, say, Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford, or... Does the Big Ten not have enough interest and sort of just wait out whatever the Pac-12's next deal ends up being? So very interesting comments, as always. It, it, you know, he's, I think he's trying to strike a balance between saying, you know, the, the Big Ten isn't just going to sit back now that they added the L.A. schools, but they're also not going to do something that doesn't make sense. We've talked a lot about the money has to be there because the current members of the Big Ten are not going to take a pay cut to add more schools just to kind of move towards world domination or whatever would end up happening with, with a mega conference of say 20 teams. So it's just something to continue to monitor. Um, I think we're, we're all still kind of waiting to see if there is going to be resolution there or if those schools end up re-upping with the PAC 12 or whatever the power struggle with the big 12 ends up being. I'm not going to lie. That reads to me like a guy who probably still wants to add some schools, but it's not, it's not, uh... I think it does. I think it's both. Yeah. I think you could read it either way. Yeah. And yeah, I think but, that, but, yeah, well, and, and again, like, you know, Kevin's left the door wide open on yes. this stuff yep. all along. Ever since they added USC UCLA, he never said like, we're good. Greg Sankey has been very clear that like, he's very happy at 16. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just sort of a TBD. We're we're not done. Yeah. Yet. And, and it's also it's not it's not just Kevin Warren's call on whether or not they add schools. There are presidents at the schools who make these kinds of decisions. We've heard comments from Iowa, maybe Ohio State of some places that maybe are not super interested in, in going further. But like we said, part of it comes down to the money. If you're going to make more money per school by adding those schools or not. That it impacts it. If these schools are going to get a cut, if you add Oregon, Washington, and whoever, uh, then they seem less interested. And that's kind of where things have, have have held for a while. And it's the case for a lot of realignment in all conferences, basically. They don't, down to Conference USA, like you said, school the, the, these leagues aren't necessarily want to expand if they're going to uh, not make as much money. Well, and, and that's been the question. You and I have talked about it. We've written about it. You know, if you talk about that late night TV window and a package there, how much is it actually worth? Like you need those dollar figures. You need to see if the money is there for adding new members, because I think a lot of people, fans and media members, we all do it, too, where you're just sort of like, well, this school sounds like it would fit or looks like it would fit. It has a profile that it would fit. The money is so great right now. And we just saw that in the Big Ten's media rights agreements that the bar is really high to clear. So We'll see. Yes. And, and he speaking of conference USA there, I have a story out 
today on the state of conference USA in the future, Kennesaw State of, of FCS is a strong favorite to join the league, whether or not they go to 10 or 12, still TBD, but check that out in my story today on The Athletic. Number four, our Athletic Heisman straw poll, uh, latest one today, 15 different players getting votes. C.J. Stroud is still atop the list by a heavy margin, which honestly kind of surprised me. He didn't get any of my votes, but C.J. Stroud, number one, Hendon Hooker, number two, Dorian Thompson Robinson mm. comes in at number three. My ballot was Hendon Hooker, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan at TCU. But there, this is still, I think it's more wide open than honestly than we have it. But what would you make of some of the the early Heisman straw poll stuff we have out there? I, I, it does feel very wide open, feels like it fluctuates certainly week to week. But one of my main takeaways coming out of the weekend was Hendon Hooker and DTR 100% in the race. So I had these three guys, I had them in a different order, but these were the players that I voted for this week. And so it's going to depend. I mean, all eyes are going to be on Tennessee this week, all eyes are going to be in UCLA another week from now, like there's going to be these moments, there's going to be these opportunities for everybody else. And then as, as Ohio state gets into the meteor opponents in its schedule too, uh, it'll just, it, it'll go with that. But CJ's CJ Stroud's numbers are going to be insane. I mean, he threw more touchdowns than he had in completions last week. So like, he's going to have the overwhelming stat lines that are going to keep him in it. I, I just think the idea of like Heisman moments, those are going to be, I think, later into the season than the other guys here's a fun fact spencer petrus at iowa has thrown more passes than cj stroud this year <laughs> he has thrown 161 stroud has thrown 160 uh petrus has a two to three touchdown interception ratio cj stroud 24 to three so there you go he's thrown more passes how is that even i mean i yeah. guess i guess cj stroud's not playing full game all the time but like They've got great, great running backs. I'm trying to talk myself into that. That is a stunning stat. He's completed many fewer passes, though. Well, yes, these are these are attempts. Okay, number five, wrapping up the Power Five, Minnesota and Alabama announce a home and home series for 2032 and 2033. First question I got when I tweeted about this was, are they going to make them play in November in Minnesota? They are not. It is going to be September. It will probably be just a beautiful day for Alabama as they finally go up north into Big Ten country to play a game. Alabama has a monster non-conference schedule over the next decade. It is awesome. There's a ton of home and homes. Alabama has fully moved away from the idea of those neutral site games, which they've played a lot of big early season uh, neutral site games in the last decade. And I, I just, I, I love that. I think it's a really important trend. I think it's something that we'll probably continue to see as the playoff expands and teams hopefully get real significant credit for going on the road and playing games like that and not get dinged and you have a little more wiggle room because you don't have to be perfect or a one-loss team. I, the one thing I will say is I would love for people in college football to figure out a way not to have to schedule these games a decade out because you just don't <laughs> know. I mean, we, people are making jokes about is PJ Fleck and or Nick Saban going to be coaching these? They teams? are not we, going to be. No, there. I'll call not. that. I'll call that now. Old. You can tag old takes exposed. And in 10 years, 11 years, we'll come back and see if PJ Fleck and Nick Saban. Are well, I think of the two, the idea that Nick Saban, like a zombie Nick Saban will still exist and be coaching in Alabama feels like, it's a non non zero possibility. That is true. That is true. And look, you know, Alabama helped 
kind of usher in the era of every big non-conference game has to take place in an NFL stadium. They had been around for a while and still will be, but this, what Alabama's done, what Ohio State's done, what Georgia and Texas are doing are a clear sign that the biggest non-conference games in the future are going to be on campus. And coupled that with an expanded playoff with games on campus, this is a breath of fresh air. Nicole's clapping, if you couldn't hear that. A breath of fresh air for college football. So it's it's we shouldn't have to do this 10-plus years out, but if you're going to do it, do it like that. Yes, and this is also what fans want. They will show up to these games. It's a win-win for everybody. Uh, so that will do it for this week's Power 5. Lots of news um, and the rest of the week as news continues to unfold, particularly around Jalen Daniels' health. It'll all be on this feed, so just stay tuned to the Andy Staples show and friends. Okay, time for happy hour. This is a segment where we talk about things that are bringing us joy, something that we are excited about, something that maybe is floating under the radar that people should be talking about that is positive. Let's just start straight up with the schedule. This is a awesome slate. Six games featuring ranked versus ranked teams. Two games are matchups of 5-0 and o teams. Just a monster weekend. And so, Chris, tell me which game of that slate you are looking forward to the most. There are a lot of good games here, but we have to start with Alabama and Tennessee for the reasons we just mentioned. A rivalry game that hasn't really been a rivalry game. It kind of feels like this could be the closest one, maybe since, I guess, Lane Kiffin was coaching there and Mount Cody blocked a field goal uh, late in that, that, that game there. Hendon Hooker, we just talked about it for the Heisman. He, since he at at Tennessee, since he transferred to Tennessee, he has 41 touchdown passes and three interceptions. It is unreal how good this guy has been. And he is going up against an Alabama pass defense that has been very suspect. Stewart for AM, big game on last Saturday. This is the biggest game at Tennessee at Neyland Stadium in probably more than a decade. And this is, you know, we've had many a year where we've thought, hey, is Tennessee going to be back? It's not. Texas back back but keep wondering you know under Butch Jones under Derek Dooley under Jeremy Pruitt hey is Tennessee finally back if Tennessee wins this game you are gonna hear non-stop from Tennessee fans for a week they are going to go just absolutely insane if this happens this is a monster environment I wish I could be there I think I'm actually going to be at TCU Oklahoma State another top 20 matchup uh, at the same time as this game but Tennessee, Alabama. This is honestly might be the game I've been most looking forward to all season. I think especially once we saw that Tennessee's offense could really do some special things. We've all been looking forward to this and the way that they came out defensively and also took advantage of the help that they got from LSU special teams. It's just, they could not be playing better coming into this one. Alabama looked super suspect without Bryce young. That one's going to be really fun. I'm also really excited for Michigan Penn state. This was also a game that I think people had circled weeks ago because we were waiting and waiting for Michigan to make a quarterback decision. Then we were waiting and waiting for Michigan to play someone of note. Then you have Iowa. So you're like, all right, there's a defense that will challenge them. That game really not out of their control the entire time. Uh, last week, you had a health scare with Mike Hart, who is doing much better. Um, but that created a, just a very weird environment and a challenging environment for Michigan. So I don't really want to draw anything, sweeping conclusions out of that one. 
So this is the game. I mean, Penn State is probably one of the few teams that I've done a total recalibration on how I think of their season, what I think is possible for them, the way that they played early, the way they came from behind to beat Purdue, the way they dominated Auburn at Auburn, uh, the way they found a running game. I mean, this is this has been the problem for Penn State for, for a number of years. And I, I just think this is going to be a, a heavyweight fight, and it's a game that we're going to learn – Something about both teams. We're certainly going to learn a lot about the winner um, in terms of, you know, actual contenders in, in the Big Ten East, which therefore means these are college football playoff contenders. And I also think that Penn State's defense, especially against the run, has been terrific. And they're going up against a really good rushing attack in, and led by Blake Corm from Michigan. It's just it's, it's a good matchup in certain spots of strength on strength. And I'm just really excited for it. I think it's a great test for both teams. Blake Corum, one of those players getting Heisman votes in, in our mm-hmm. poll. And, and look, Michigan's schedule has been just a joke. It, 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 it just it is. So, some of it's not their fault because the Big Ten schedule, but you play you, you play UConn, Hawaii, Colorado State, three of the worst teams in all of college football. You play Maryland closer than expected. You play Iowa not that close until the end. Then you're tied to 10-10 at halftime with Indiana. We don't know what Michigan is. We do not know how good Michigan is. And this is finally a game where we will get a sense of that. And what I am most interested in this matchup is Sean Clifford against Michigan secondary, which has struggled relative to its competition this far. You know that they've replaced the defensive front pretty well, losing Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo. But the, but the back end has been very suspect. So I want to see if Penn State and Sean Clifford can throw the ball on them if they can protect Sean Clifford, which has been a problem throughout his entire career. Absolutely. And you're right that we have seen, you know, Michigan figure out how it's going to rush the passer. I mean, how it's going to get that pressure, um, which was one of their questions coming in. Okay. Another happy hour topic are uh, you cheers to them last week. So you somehow knew that all the interim coaches were going to win their games this weekend. All of the interim head coaches won last weekend, which seems like I, I can't imagine that's ever really happened, at least with this amount. The fact that there were five head coaches that go undefeated last weekend. You had wins for Nebraska, Georgia Tech, some of these places that like it was really, really dire. So walk me through why you think this is working out. Why why are these interim coaches having success? The early season, not even mid-season. We're not even at the midpoint of the season. Early season firings and all of those programs led by Jim Leonard, massive win in his first game. All of them won last week. You know, in English soccer, they don't use the term interim head coach. They call them caretakers. And I love that. We should do that. We should do that. 100%. And yeah, the interim head coaches five and zero last week, and they are nine and five overall. That includes Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, Mickey Joseph at Rutgers, Brent Key at Georgia Tech, Mickey Joseph at Nebraska. Sorry, Mickey Joseph at Nebraska. Um, Bryant Vincent, who's kind of taken over since the summer at UAB, and the other was uh, uh, Sean Aguano at uh, Arizona State. And I, I said it on the the cheers last week. I hate midseason firings because. It's an administration largely punting on the season and punting on those kids. There are some cases where the school believes the head coach is a hindrance and getting that coach out of there will help the team. And we may be seeing that in a couple of these places. Georgia Tech's 2-0 under Brent Key. 
they won. They never won more than three games under Jeff Collins. So uh, shout out to, to them for, for, for what they've been doing. I don't know if any of the interim coaches really have a shot at the job. Uh, Brent key, maybe cause he went there at Georgia tech, Brian Vincent, you know, cause he's been there for a long time at, at UAB. It's kind of a weird situation. Um, Jim Leonard. But, yes. And, and Jim Leonard. Yes. Obviously at, at Wisconsin. So, you know, you never know. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they play out. Wisconsin looked like a completely different team. I know it was Northwestern, but Northwestern it, has become one of those teams. That it's a get right game for other teams. It is. It is. But yes, absolutely. Especially offensively, which they promoted the defensive coordinator, but they looked great offensively. So that one's going to be an interesting one. That's a full seven game audition for Jim Leonard. One last happy thought for happy hour. Uh, L.A. football, USC and UCLA, both good. Both 6-0 and for the first time since 2005. Maybe all it took was them announcing that they're leaving to join the Big Ten, a Midwestern-based conference for L.A. to be good at football again. Yeah, look, there was, there was a stat, I think, last week where Texas and Oklahoma post SEC announcement were, were not in good shape, but USC and UCLA had, <laughs> hadn't, hadn't lost since they announced the Big Ten. So, yeah, look, Los Angeles, the center of the football universe. The Rams won the Super Bowl, and now they're not good this year. So maybe UCLA can get some of those fans to show up at, at, at some of their games. This is exciting. Look, Chip Kelly is in his fifth season, and I think he's finally got it turned around. He's like I think 14 and four in his last 18 games now. Now he's had Dorian Thompson Robinson for that entire time because he's been there forever. So we'll see what the future holds, but this is what you wanted when you hired Chip Kelly. He didn't go to Florida. He didn't uh, take some of these other jobs because he didn't want the, the, the high intensity of recruiting and he wanted some patience and he's still there at UCLA and Dan Mullen's gone at Florida. So I think, uh, I think that decision worked out for him and in a, in a Pac-12 we think is, really good top to bottom, you know, Washington, Utah, all these other teams, it might be the LA schools that, that come out on, on top of the end halfway through the year. Uh, they're both in a good spot. There are no divisions remember in the PAC 12 this year. So do we get, uh, do they finish the year with each other? Could we get USC, UCLA? Someone, someone at a school that is not those schools in the PAC 12 pointed that out to me that uh, it would be fitting and also very annoying if those two teams played for the Pac-12 championship after announcing that they are leaving. Okay, let's talk about rocky relationships. It's time for On the Rocks. Time to talk it out. There's always some friction somewhere. We're going to help work through it. This week's rocky relationships. We're So we're going to go to two part here. I want to start by pointing out that the Dabo Swinney coaching tree is really struggling led by the brand new first year head coaches. So that's Brent Venables. We're about to get into, we'll go into Oklahoma specifically on what's going wrong on the field, but obviously they're three and three, not what anyone wanted. They just had the worst loss that they've ever had in the red river rivalry game. Virginia is two and four and Really pretty much without a competent offense. Brendan Armstrong is worse this year than he was last year. They lost to a Louisville team playing without Malik Cunningham. And things are just not good. Not good. These are first-year coaches. So this isn't like a hot seat situation. But these no. are not at all what you think and what you want. And these are, you know, these were coordinators at Clemson that were there for a really, really long time. Very much so, like, can't miss guys. These were 
people everyone was excited about and just really off to a, a pretty rough start. And then Jeff Scott has really struggled at USF as well. And so just not great times for the Dabo tree. Also, Chad Morris, don't forget, uh, had okay success at SMU, then went to Arkansas and got fired in less than two years. So, yeah, the coaching tree is not branching out very far. Let We got to start with Oklahoma. I was at the Red River, not shootout, uh, in Dallas here at the State Fair of Texas. Wonderful time, as always. And that was one of the worst. That might be the worst Oklahoma performance I have ever seen in my life. They lost 49 to nothing to Texas. They had 39 passing yards. This is just a complete mess, especially on defense. It's the first time ever Oklahoma has lost two games in a row by at least 30 points. It was their worst ever loss to Texas. It was their first shutout since 1998. Like, I know, like, what we've seen the last couple weeks is worse than, I think, than the John Blake era back in the 90s. This is remarkable. And Venables had a comment after the game where he said, we look like a tired team. And that struck me because we're only halfway through the season. What is there to be tired about? I don't know if he meant physically tired as if they're overworking practice. I don't know if he meant mentally tired because of the pressure. But Oklahoma has lost three games in a row. They are spiraling. And, you know, not that we expected Brent Venables to come and fix the defense after, you know, in one year after six games. But there are just some massive, massive holes on that side. Dylan Gabriel... Got hurt against TCU, didn't play against Texas. That will help when he comes back, but he's not going to help that defense. And uh, just a real strikingly poor performance from Oklahoma. I nearly knocked him out of the top 50 in my 131 rankings. They are spiraling. They are, and just some numbers to back up Virginia's drop-off. They were the number two team in the country in passing yardage per game last year. They're 85th this year. And Brennan Armstrong, who looked great last year, he was fun, one of the more entertaining quarterbacks, really good kind of like improvising. He is just really, really struggling this year, and he is he has five touchdowns on the year, seven interceptions. Again, just not great, uh, and it's it's really tough. I mean, these were these are really well regarded coaches, but the jump from coordinator head coach really hard. Um, and I think that the expectations when you see something like what you what Lincoln Riley is doing at USC in year one, it just only puts more and more pressure on year one head coaches, you know, who no one's really getting patience in college football anymore. But especially, you know, these high profile guys that were very picky and choosy about where they got to go. We got to talk about, I think, the rockiest relationship in all of college football right now. And again, again, maybe Oklahoma fans and and Brent Venables are very close there. But this is something that's been going ongoing for most of basically all of last season. Their team won despite how poorly the offense played. This year, the offense is as bad as it could possibly be. The head coach is the all-time winningest coach of the program. His son is the offensive coordinator. He has bristled at questions and, you know, people pushing and asking about making a change. And Kirk Ferentz, after losing nine to six to Illinois, was asked about the struggles of the Iowa offense and was like, well, I don't know if you guys saw, we won 10 games last year. 
it was astonishing that they won 10 games despite <laughs> the in uh, the offensive ineptitude last year. It, it's such a shame because they have been so good in the other two phases. Like they're not just good defensively. They're elite defensively. They're not just good on special teams. They're elite. Tory Taylor is one of the best punters in the country. The, d- the defense great- nearly won them the Illinois game where they fumble return late. <laughs> That game, although it got over. They had the two safeties that were the difference in week one. I mean, if the defense isn't scoring points, they're really struggling despite getting good field position, flipping the field, all these different things that they're doing on special teams. Iowa and this offense. I just I'm almost out of words. So, Chris, give me the numbers of how bad this is. They're 130th in yards per play. That is second worst in the country, only ahead of UMass. That means they are behind Colorado 0-5. They are behind Colorado State. They are behind New Mexico, Nevada, FIU, UConn. These are the teams I was behind of in terms of offensive efficiency. And, you know, it, it hasn't always been like this. Like, I know we make jokes about Iowa's offense, but, you know, Kirk Ferentz wants to play a style of offense that is risk-averse, that will set them up to win low-scoring games. And many times it works. but Back when Ken O'Keefe was involved in the offense and stuff like that, it was still a respectable offense. Ricky Stanzi, go back even farther to Brad Banks. Like, Iowa has not had uh, a garbage offense forever. And, you know, Kirk Ferentz being able to point out, hey, I won 10 games last year. We're fine. Like, that's such a, a problem. And it's it's more it's, – it's not any one thing. Like, Spencer Petras, like, in, in, in some of the – some of the, 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 the tape grading I've, I've seen – he actually graded out pretty well against Michigan, but it's just there's so few opportunities and, and there's bad routes running, there's bad protection, there's all these different things that it just adds up to there, there's no there's no one thing wrong with this offense. It's everything. And it's just, you know, it, it's remarkable that they wouldn't try to make a change to fix this because guess who fired their offensive coordinators this week? Rutgers did. San Diego State did two weeks ago. Boise State did a couple weeks before that. New Mexico did uh, this week. So we've got a lot of schools making offensive coordinator changes to try to turn, turn things around. It's kind of worked at Boise State, but the offensive coordinator is head coach's son, and that puts everything in a weird situation. You've also had two head coaching changes in your own division already this year. So you've got other places saying something we're doing isn't working and we're going to make a change. And I think that that's what's really frustrating. I think it's, it's, it's tough for, for fans to hear stuff like, well, we won 10 games last year. Because they're watching this team. They're You're not winning frustrated. 10 games this year. You're not winning no, 10 games. No, and, and and they're it's insulting to them to to think that, you know, everyone calling for, you know, uh, there was a few weeks ago it was a quarterback change. But in general, to your point, it's everything, right? It's, uh, you know, I, I think our, our colleague Scott Dockerman has done a really good job explaining, like, you can't just fix something at the margins or do a couple of tweaks with this. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's broken. And it's really hard to imagine what about the system would appeal to talented skill players to recruit, right? Because you're asking them to come into the system to be coached and play here. And you see Charlie Jones go and leave and go to Purdue and get a million targets a game. <laughs> and gets Chuck all Sizzle. these. He gets to play in a fun offense. He gets to actually be targeted. He gets to have touchdown catches. He gets to run fun routes and and do all of these things that he was not 
doing at Iowa. So you have to think about all of those things. How are you going to get talented players to come there? It needs to be, it doesn't need to be the most cutting edge offense, but it needs to be effective. It needs to be something that is enjoyable to play in. Um, and I, I feel for that fan base because the other two phases have been elite. So that is why I think it's just the Rocky relate Rocky is relationship in college football, because everyone's resigned to the fact that there's not going to be a change. And I don't know what it would take, what it would have to take for there to actually be a change because Kirk has been really defensive and it's family. So I just, I, I, I don't know where you go. And this is a very winnable big 10 West as usual. I think Nebraska's was, or is tied for first place in the division right now at two and one, I think. So like, very, it's it's super wide open. Maybe right now, I would say Illinois is the favorite. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Illinois. Minis- I think good. Minnesota and Purdue are going to factor into. It, it's super wide open. This is it's the type of Big Ten West that usually like Wisconsin just totally demolishes everybody, and then there's like all those other teams are pretty close right. to each other. This year, everyone's close to each other, so it's even more glaring. I think that Iowa is is wasting its defense. And it's again, it's talented specialists because their offense can't score offensive touchdowns. Like that's the, that's the issue. Like the stat from Scott's story this week was 18 offensive touchdowns in 14 games in six of those games, they've scored seven points or fewer. That is such a small margin of error to try to win a game. That is depressing. It's such a small error. Yeah. That, that, that goes back to the whole point where playing a risk adverse type of style it leaves you a, a small margin of error to do that and when you do these kinds of things on offense you don't give yourself a, a chance to to win i can't imagine 18 touchdowns in 14 games six times scoring seven or fewer points that is just i feel for you iowa fans who have to watch this every week the defense is doing all they can they're literally putting points on the board and look iowa used to have they put receivers in the NFL they put running back a lot of running backs in the NFL like tight ends lots of tight you know, ends you I mean you could you know demote Brian Ferentz to offensive line coach and promote somebody else to run I, I don't know it's just it's so ingrained in kind of where they're at right now that I don't even know if I was built to sustain a change like that um, tough spot yes the resignation in your voice and in the way I think about this is I think also you're making me think of Iowa football and I'm going to be honest. I don't watch a ton of Iowa football because it's not fun to watch. First of all, I would argue it is kind of must see TV. It always did watch for me. I did watch the Illinois game. I take that back. That one was, that was a slog. That was a slog. Um, But the thing with that one is Illinois has a great defense as well. Illinois also had to go to a backup quarterback, but this is an offense that has been, productive has been explosive in other games Iowa doesn't really have that to lean on to think that it will feel different in a different game Illinois is exactly what Wisconsin and Iowa want to be they've got one of the leading rushers mm-hmm. in the country uh in Chase Brown. one of the best and then one of the best defenses and one of the, the best country. defenses that that's yeah. that's a Brett it's pretty good it's a pretty good formula that's also been part of the problem I mean Iowa and you know last year they're the best center in the country but at least run the ball then, right? If you're not going to throw it Here's effectively. The thing. Here's the thing. I looked this up. Let me pull this up. You want like, they're not even run- like, it's not even like we're, we're, it's not even like we're slowing the game down and it's boring. Iowa is 126th in yards per carry. 2.6 yeah. yards per carry. Yeah. That's not even, like, 
even that's not working. No, and and Scott's done again really good work breaking down the splits of like you can see before contact, after contact. Like it's all bad. It's all bad. Um, something's got to change at some point. But there is like the fans. It's a mutiny. It's it's been it's been really frustrating. So we'll see if anything changes there. But I do think to your point about seeing offensive coordinator changes, seeing head coaching changes in your own division, got to be really frustrating that you're not doing anything about changing what is going on there. Again, the second to worst offense in the country with only UMass behind you. Okay, let's get to last call. This is cheers or jeers for whatever we really want to talk about. It's whatever you might be, you know, the bar's closing, get one more round. What do you want to cheers to? It could be something great. could be something exciting, something you want to celebrate. could be something you're just, you, you just got to get it off your chest one more time. I'm going to go with a cheers. It's a little, actually, it's a little bit bittersweet overall. You know how I feel about Kansas. I've, I've called them America's team, which I think they are for everybody that didn't go to Mizzou. And possibly some Mizzou grads. One of our group chats had a Mizzou grad celebrating Kansas as America's team. Just want to say that. So I'm going to say cheers to Jason Bean. There were a lot of backup quarterbacks this past weekend who decided the game essentially because there were a lot of backup quarterbacks that there was a massive drop off um, and either the team got blown out or was lucky and fortunate enough to win. I want to give credit to Jason Bean who played terrific in defeat. A lot of Kansas's success over the first five games of the year. Um, you know, a lot of the, the credit we all heaped on them. A lot of it went to Jalen Daniels. He was terrific leading this offense over the first five games very fun, dynamic player, and just really had a good command of what was happening. He goes down in the second quarter, biggest game of the season, biggest game uh, in 15 years for, for Kansas. And in comes a player in Jason Bean. By the way, just a really fun name to say. I'm just trying to come up with more Bean jokes and uh, puns, but there's really we, not, we, we not need, great ones. This is the moment for Mr. Bean to come back into the culture. That's all I had. I couldn't think of better, better memes and puns. I mean, there's just, they're, they're not great. We need to work on this because like, I just think, you know, what we saw from him from last year to this year, this is what I want to give him the cheers for. He threw six touchdowns, six interceptions, started nine games last year. Like those were the stats for the entire season, six and six. He threw four touchdowns in the second half, nearly pulled out the win for Kansas. Jalen Daniels, doubtful of play this week against Oklahoma per Lance Leipold. So it's going to be bean time again. Again, I wish that I just, I'm trying to come up with a catchphrase for this. and I can't think of one on the spot. I keep thinking baked beans, but, but that'd be more like if nothing, something happened to him. That's a more of a negative For his stat line, I think you can go bean counter, right? Like that, that works, but I just feel like there's so much potential and we're, we're missing it here. But anyway, I just want to cheers to Jason Bean, who we may be seeing quite a lot more of for Kansas, because I just think looking at what he did last year to what he's doing this year is the perfect. It, it just encapsulates how Kansas has turned this around. A number of key players at key positions on this team were there. Were there last year, endured a lot of losses. They have some players on that team that were there when they were winless. So yes, the portal, yes, there's those elements, but 
someone like Jason Bean, absolutely worth celebrating. Even though Kansas lost, I think they acquitted themselves well. They didn't drop in the rankings, which I was very proud of yes. the AP voters yes. for noticing that they played well, even when they lost Jalen Daniels. So anyway, just cheers. Cheers to Mr. Bean. Uh, Jason Bean, also former North Texas quarterback, transferred to Kansas last year. So another uh, positive addition a uh, po- po- positive uh, story coming out of the portal. My cheers. I've got kind of t- two, two here, but one's more of a debate than the other. First one cheers to James Madison r- reaching the top 25 in just uh, six, uh, five or six games. It's halfway through its FBS existence. It's first season as an FBS school. It's already ranked in the top 25. Uh, they have not played a difficult schedule, but they did come back and beat Appalachian state and they won all of their other games by at least 20 points, I believe. So uh, JMU shout out to the Dukes who are not eligible for the Sunbelt championship or a bowl game, or I guess technically the college football playoff, but they have been a fun story. An example of a program that knows how to win at FCS coming up and winning. And Todd Santeo, the quarterback Colorado state transfer is lighting it up. His numbers are insane. But the other thing I want to talk about in, in cheers or jeers here, and that is, a hot topic of debate uh, often in college football, and I tweet about this, and that is UCF's space game uniforms. The the, the new uniforms came out on Tuesday. They're going to wear them Thursday against Temple, and there's no subtleties with this one. You know, they, they've, they've had a moon helmet. They've had some other things going on. These uniforms literally say Space U on them, and these are not the first space uniforms we've had in college football this year. Uh, Rice, is, or, uh, Rice wore some. Uh, for an anniversary around JFK, who gave his famous moon speech at Rice Stadium. Uh, Air Force won, uh, wore Space Force uniforms, because the Space Force is, I guess, a sister branch of the Air Force. Um, and so so we've had a lot of space uniforms. But UCF draws a lot of reaction from fans when when people see this. Stephen Godfrey has a tweet that goes around every time I, I share this. And I have shared these just because I know they're going to get a lot of reaction. But Nicole, I want to know who you think which college football team owns outer space? Is it Purdue, which has Neil Armstrong and a lot of astronauts? Is it UCF, mm-hmm. which was founded, in fairness to UCF, they were founded in order to create, uh, educate workers to work at the Kennedy Space Center. It was called Space U when it was founded. That's where that comes from. It's not out of nowhere. Uh, is it Rice because of JFK in Houston? Uh, or is it Air Force for the Space Force? Those are the four that have worn space uniforms. Okay, it's a really tough question. I also would direct our listeners to the UCF football Twitter account. They renamed themselves the Citronauts Football. Yes, that used to be their name, Citronauts, <laughs> which, which is, is way, way better, better than the Knights. Way nice. better, it's way, way better. better. They nice. need to bring yes. back the Citronauts. Okay, if they bring down, if they bring back Citronauts, then they can have space. Then I will say that they own space, and no one else does. I think you and I are both fans of the show for all mankind. Yes which is kind of this like alternate reality of what happened Alternate timeline. Alternate timeline. Yeah. So the U S loses the space race and then just sort of like all the ripple effects of that. I think that one thing we've learned from watching this alternate timeline is that no one really owns space directly, Mm. that there's always going to be multiple nations up there. There will be commercialization versus research. There's a lot of different tentacles of people who want to go beyond our atmosphere. So I don't want to say that anyone directly owns it. I would say who has the best claim? Probably Purdue. Like you've you, Neil Armstrong. 
They do. And and we, we have to note, Navy has produced a ton of astronauts. They are, they, they are all mostly. But that one, that just logically doesn't make sense. But they, they go through Annapolis. No, I, we, and I get it. I get that. Yes, but it's Navy. So you think water just doesn't, it doesn't work. Like you can't, you can't say an army alum, you know, it just, it does, it doesn't work. You think ground with army, you think water yes. with Navy, you think air force, air force, right? You're, you're in the air. I, I, I get it. I get the space you background. Listen for all mankind focuses a lot on Houston and, and Navy. Yes. But also like the geography yes. of, of, of being in Houston. But I think I think I've got to go Purdue. I will say that the wars over this and the uniforms <laughs> and the claims of who owns space probably more entertaining than any of the other stuff. That that was a very diplomatic answer of you, by the way, to say that everybody kind of owns space. Well, that's that was, what I, that's what I've learned from the show <laughs> is that it's, you no, can't really it, well, and there's another really school outside of your house out of space. There's, there's another school we haven't mentioned, and that's your alma mater, which sent uh, I think it was Apollo fifteen. I think it was all uh, University of Michigan people. It was in the commercial back in the day. I remember when I was a kid seeing the commercial. And I, someone had mentioned in my Twitter replies that Michigan has an alumni group of people who went to the moon. So Michigan has not staked a claim with the jersey, which is a requirement uh, where we're only counting schools who have created space jerseys. Because if you're not willing to put it on your jersey, then how much do you really care about other space? So exactly. that is a debate. That again, is a debate. If you really want to prove that you care the most about space, name yourself the Citronauts. And if you want a lot of angry people in your Twitter mentions, just say UCF shouldn't be called Space U because they will get after you with newspaper clippings and all kinds of stuff. I, I, You're I, telling I'm... me UCF fans are active online? Yes, this is that, breaking that gets, news. This gets them more upset than the national championship debate from 2017. <laughs> Look, UCF's got a lot going on. These jerseys are by far the most out there, no pun intended, that we've seen yet about the space. It doesn't, it doesn't even say UCF. They're literally going with Space U. You'll see those Thursday night when they play um, when they play Temple. That is the perfect cheers. Cheers to the Citronauts and to everyone else because no one individual person owns space. That's how we will wrap up this week's episode of Power Hour. Didn't really know that that's where we were going to end up here um, after talking for, for 50 minutes, but that's where we are. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Wednesday. Thank you.